Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, October 26, 2022. Today on the Ether, DeFiYield.app hosts the top six DeFi blockchains, EVM and Cosmos. Let's take a listen. Yeah, welcome everybody. Uh, we've still got a few speakers uh, piling in. I'm Akiva from Crypto Slate. Uh, I'll be one of your moderators for today's session. I'm uh, super excited. We've got Phantom Kronos, Polygon, Juno, Secret. Osmosis all uh, joining us today. Um, it's going to be absolutely jam-packed. Let's give us a, a minute or so just to get everyone in, and then I'll do some housekeeping and we'll get we'll get cracking. Hi everyone, how are you doing? Here I am Milton from Argentina. I was the brand ambassador from the Cosmoverse in Medellin, Colombia, and I'm really glad to be here with you all guys moderating this space along with and Akiva uh, from Crypto Slate. So, well, let's wait to, to all the speakers to jump in. Uh, let's start. Okay. Uh, Sonali, do we have everyone now? Just check for me. Uh, let me see. I think we're still waiting for Jake. Yeah, I'm not uh, in Jake. From Juno. Um... But Dimi is there. Hi, Dimi. Yo. Yeah, I'm not sure if Jake uh, is coming. Uh, I mean, I think yes, but let's see. Okay, well, I'll just go through some of the housekeeping for everyone that's here already. So <clears throat> the goal of this space and what we tend to do, the DeFi yield space, when we co-host with Crypto Slate, is try and make it as like organic as possible um, and try and make it so it's it's a full conversation rather than people just kind of giving a presentation for five minutes. So I would ask the speakers if you can try and think about that in, in your speaking time and, and try and limit it. I'd give like um, an overall kind of like 90 seconds rough. There's, there's not going to be a hard timeline. We're not going to start playing music and kicking you off but we just want to try and make sure we give other people a chance to kind of put their side of the the answer into the question um one thing we are going to use and i'll be keeping tracking of this is the raise hand feature in spaces so if you click on the little heart in the bottom of the far right side uh, there's a little hand hand that just stays up that means you want to talk next so yeah if you just press that when you're um if you want to go go next on the question so miles is going to say direct one of the questions to say uh, phantom while they're talking if someone really wants to jump in on the question next then just put your hand up and i'll make sure that the conversation goes to you uh, in that order um that's pretty much all the housekeeping that we need to do, other than to mention that there is a $500 BUSD um, prize uh, for the three winning questions at the end of this. So if you're keen to ask a question, um, make sure that you're uh, like sharing the post to get it out to other people. Within that, you can uh, write a question in the, um, the tweet that kind of uh, put this uh, space out there, or you can uh, request to actually join at the end as well. And the people that we, uh, we select, there'll be a $500 uh, 
fair price pool for that. So with all of that said and done, I'll hand back over to Miles. And if you want to kick us off with the first question. Of course, let's go. Okay, well, I see the Phantom uh, account raising his hands. So let's so, go. Sorry, sorry. That, that was a mistake, no. by the way. Yeah. No, no problem, but... <laughs> We, no, you've got it now. You're first. There's no getting out of it. You're first now. <laughs> so, from Phantom, hi. Um, please introduce yourself and tell you, uh, tell us about uh, Phantom. What is your your chain uh, doing? Yeah, sure. So, um, Phantom is a layer one of these like layer one blockchains out there. So, we have our own distributed ledger that we've created ourselves. Um, um, a lot of it from scratch. So it allows you to basically confirm transactions in an asynchronous manner. And what I mean by that is you can confirm multiple transactions simultaneously while basically taking advantage of the entire security of the chain. So all the validators in the network. So, you know, we like to talk about vertical scaling that is, you know, improving the existing technology without um, trading off between um, security and performance. And so there's a lot of work being done on improving the underlying L1 um, and especially the middleware as well. So right now, we're an EVM-based chain. So the way that you would write and deploy smart contracts on Ethereum pretty much works the same way as in Phantom. And we will be changing up our, our middleware to have a much more efficient uh, virtual machine and, and being able to read and write data a lot faster while still maintaining Solidity compatibility for the end developer. So that's pretty much the technology stack in a nutshell. Awesome, awesome. I'm seeing Kronos is joining us too, so come on. And yeah, we well, also have uh, Ken is the MD of Kronos as well, so um, he's able to talk on behalf of Kronos as well, I'm sure. Perfect. So please, Ken, introduce us yourself and, and tell, tell us about Kronos. What is your chain doing? Hey. Um... Can you hear me okay? Yep. So, yes. Yeah, so Kronos is uh, also an EVM compatible layer one chain. Uh, so, Kronos differentiates in two ways. Number one, um, it's a chain that is uh, supported uh, you know, um, from a technical and ecosystem standpoint by crypto.com, uh, one of the world's largest. Um, crypto exchanges, um, and the, the thinking behind that is that when we're thinking about the next wave of um, Web3 users, they are going to want, first of all, they are, most of them, already uh, users of a Web2 custodial exchange, and they're going to want uh, strong brands uh, and regulated on-ramps and off-ramps. Um, and so uh, this partnership that we have with Crypto.com is providing that. And number two, so from a technical standpoint, Kronos um, is the first EVM compatible chain built on the Cosmos SDK uh, that was launched uh, in the middle of last year. And uh, so the idea behind that is that we can um, facilitate uh, the transfers of crypto between the Ethereum chains and the Cosmos chains um, and therefore make it easy for those users to um, uh, uh, you have versions of their cryptos uh, on Kronos and invest them wherever those cryptos are coming from in terms of the ecosystem that has generated them. 
Um, yeah, so in a nutshell, that's it. And so, so far we have a million users, um, uh, probably 200,000 transactions per day at the moment. Uh, we're number nine uh, in terms of TVL amongst all chains, and we have around 400 dApps deployed on the chain. Fantastic. Shall we move over to, to Polygon next? I don't know if the Polygon account or Justin wants to take the question. Yeah, I'll take the I'll take the question on behalf of Polygon. My name is Justin Havens. I'm on the Polygon DeFi team. Uh, Polygon is an Ethereum scaling solution. I think most people are most familiar with the Polygon proof of stake chain. So if you've made a swap on Uniswap or used OpenSea or played the central games, uh, that's that's the chain that you are most familiar with. And that's the chain that you're operating on, the Polygon proof of stake chain. But uh, like I said, we provide uh, a suite of different scaling solutions for Ethereum. At Polygon, we believe that the future of digital finance will use Ethereum as the base settlement layer. And we want to support the Ethereum ecosystem by providing these scaling solutions. Polygon currently has about seven. Uh, yeah, we have seven different scaling solutions that are either live right now, that are in testnet, or that are under development. Um, I could go through all of those right now, but I think that that would take too much time. Uh, mainly, our focus has been on zero knowledge as a form, as a technology used for scaling the Ethereum blockchain. As we have announced recently with our ZK EVM testnet going live, uh, I think we announced that about two weeks ago. And we are really excited for that to go live on mainnet. We've seen a lot of development on the open testnet side. We've seen, we've got at least 20 DeFi protocols that have deployed on the testnet already. So we're seeing a lot of excitement around that. And that's uh, the, the TLDR on Polygon, an Ethereum scaling solution. Fantastic, Justin. Thank you very much. Let's move over to uh, Dimi, uh, Dimi to um, Dugino. Hey, hi, everyone. Uh, so, yeah, <clears throat> Juno is a permissionless smart contract platform uh, focused on interchain smart contracts. And, uh, yeah, it's inside the Cosmos ecosystem, comes IBC enabled. And Juno is also a big DAO. Basically, you can see it as a launchpad for uh, uh, basically bootstrap uh, your project into Cosmos and uh, immediately connect with users and uh, funding, basically. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. is there, sorry, is there anything else you want to add? Uh, no, only that uh, Jake is here if you want to put it as a speaker as well. Okay, cool. We'll see if Sonali can, can add him in. Um, let's, let's, let's keep the Cosmos uh, theme and let's move over to Osmosis. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Tanner. I'm with uh, Technical Support Operations in Osmosis. Uh, Osmosis is a Cosmos SDK chain, layer one. Um, we are a decentralized exchange, first and foremost, uh, utilizing automated market making. So we provide liquidity pools um, and you can bond your tokens, receive osmosis rewards or other external incentives. Um, we currently have connections with over 40 chains in the IBC space. And uh, we are basically the premier zone to come to for exchanging of tokens uh, within the Cosmos network. 
Short, sweet, and to the point. I love it. Um, let's go to to secret uh, as the last of the uh, the chains to go through. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Earthman. I do developer relations for for Secret Network. And Secret Network is a permissionless layer one uh, smart contract chain in the Cosmos ecosystem, which spoke focuses specifically on private smart contracts. So we enable developers to build with a, a an encrypted input state and output, so that they can build applications like private finance, private lending but also secret NFTs and other interesting use cases for privacy, like communication and storage. And uh, we're IBC enabled also for smart contracts. So we're happy to work together with Osmosis and Juno in this uh, awesome ecosystem. Uh, we have uh, multiple dApps already li live here where you can, uh, can use secret DeFi in practice and, uh, and check out how everything works. So. Fantastic. So, um, not a chain, but we also do have another speaker with us, which is uh, Nate, the CEO of CryptoSlate, aka my boss. Um, Nate, do you just wanted to give a, a little brief introduction to, to, to CryptoSlate and uh, your sort of view on the, the chains here today, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. My name's Nate. I'm the CEO of CryptoSlate. For those of you who are not aware, CryptoSlate is a data news and directory platform for crypto and Web3. So, primarily we cover news, but we also have a database of all the different crypto assets, including different sectors for different blockchains. Uh, we also have a, a directory for people, products, companies within the crypto space. And uh, Liam, our co-host, is a producer and journalist for us. Um, yeah, and really, we've been pretty excited about uh, a lot of the chains that are speaking here today. We've done a lot of coverage about DeFi over the past few years. And yeah, looking forward to just hearing from the speakers today. Brilliant. Cheers, Nate. Um, so, Miles, back over to you with the, ne the next question. Yeah, uh, we can do course. like a quick intro, actually. Um, sorry. <laughs> so just a, it's a quick intro on behalf of uh, just DeFi Yield. Sorry, real quick, guys. Um, for a lot of the listeners and viewers that are joining us today, first of all, thank you so much for joining us as well as uh, our speakers um, for the top blockchains for this segment. Thank you. And so just a quick intro for DeFi Yield. So DeFi Yield is a cross-chain uh, DeFi portfolio management dashboard. So you can help you keep track of all of your DeFi assets from like liquidity pools, vaults, tokens, swapping, um, you name it. And uh, across EVM chains as well as non-EVM chains. And um, also we're here to keep you safe. So we're here to, we have a tool. We're here to alert you if there's any sort of um, high risk uh, vulnerabilities, you know, detected in code, you can revoke. And uh, yeah, and we look forward to just being able to make it a lot uh, easier in terms of accessible for users to be able to find all these great DeFi protocols that are available on chains like the ones we have today from Phantom, Juno, Secret Network, Osmosis, Polygon, Chronos. Um, so we want to invite all the users to be able to explore all these uh, DeFi opportunities that are available on these chains, and you could definitely do that through DeFi Yield. Thank you. Sorry for for leaving you out this time. I just, in all honesty, I, I assume that either you, you've done your brief intro uh, before I arrived, I was a little bit late, but also the fact of 
why are you guys not already following DeFi Yield? That's the reason why we're, we're all here. Um, and if you're not, definitely follow the Twitter uh, account because these sorts of uh, spaces happen fairly regularly. Uh, the last one, I think, ended up being like three hours long because the amount of engagement, it was around the, the macro uh, picture of, uh, of crypto in general, and it was one of the best Twitter spaces I've ever been a part of. So 100% agree with everything that Sonali saying there. I just wanted to add that in before. Miles, back to you, mate. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, let's go. Let's start with an open question to all our of our speakers. And it's, why do we need multiple blockchains and how you see a multi-chain future working? Now, I don't know what, which one of you want to start and maybe Shake, do you want to start and introduce yourself because you you were the the, the last joining us hey everyone um i think this is a great question um so i'm jake i, I work on uh, juno network uh the multi-chain future i like to think about the interchain future especially in cosmos all these chains that are connected via ibc things like osmosis and secret network and juno um I think you know the interchain is the future. The interchain is how we scale to not just hundreds of thousands of transactions per second, but you know millions and eventually billions of transactions per per, per second. Um, horizontal scalability is the name of the game. Um, and what's really cool about the interchain and chains that are connected by IBC is that you get this cross-chain composability. So one of the things we're very excited about at Juno is the ability to build interchain applications or IBC applications that run across multiple different chains in the interchain. Uh, an example of such a protocol that I'm really excited about that we're working on really hard at Juno and uh, partnering with the Osmosis folks we love um, is mesh security. And mesh security allows you to um, uh, like secure, uh, it, it allows for chains to like secure each other in the interchain. So, you can actually cross-stake your assets from one chain to another. For example, like Juno users could cross-stake their Juno to help secure Osmosis and earn additional rewards, as well as Osmosis users can cross-stake their Osmo and help secure Juno and earn additional rewards as well. Um, so these are really this is like a really cool example of an interchain protocol that like adds more security and utility to the interchain, but also adds like opportunities for additional yield. So. I'm really excited about this like emerging cross-chain composability that we're that we're really getting for the first time. Like a lot of the early like EVM bridges were pretty limited to just moving assets, and they were oftentimes controlled by like multi-sigs of like a very small group of people. Um, and you know, there's been many high-level like sort of security incidents that have happened as a result. IBC is much better technology and you can do much more than just bridge assets. You can really build these first, first of their kind, like interchain applications, which um, just makes me really, really excited for the future. Um, we're already living in a multi-chain world. There's already many, many different kinds of blockchains. And I think that's good. Diversity is good. I think we should, you know, continue like the rapid pace of innovation um, and you know the like the sort of interchain paradigm allows us to do that people are allowed to experiment with new types of consensus protocols new types of you know zero knowledge protocols um new types of smart contracting platforms 
Um, though I love the EDM. I wrote my first line of Slow DD in 2016. Uh, doesn't mean it's like end all be all best technology for writing smart contracts. Um, you know, uh, so I think, uh, yeah, we're in a new paradigm. It's the interchain paradigm and Cosmos is, I think leading the way, but it's not just Cosmos anymore. Like Polkadot has added support for IBC near protocol. The more chains that like, like stitch together in this like emerging interchain, like the more powerful it becomes and the more opportunities there are for DeFi. I don't know if anyone else from Cosmos wants to like chime in on that, but well, I, I know that uh, Justin from Polygon is uh, desperate to to jump in on that, so maybe there's a slight different approach to it. But one thing I will say is um, I've just pinned an article that I wrote on exactly that um, when Sunny from Osmosis gave a talk at Cosmoverse recently on mesh security. It was really fascinating, um, and it really showcases like yeah where that where the space can go with it. So that's just a, the pin tweet if anyone's interested. So let's move over to um, Justin from Polygon. Next, please. Yeah, sorry, I was just trying to use the uh, the the hand raise. Uh, I saw you did appropriately. It well. you did it well. So I, was, I was just ready to talk. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I think at Polygon we have a very similar uh, feeling and a very similar thesis. I think you know uh, we are definitely just to double click on a lot of things said previously. We are living in a multi chain world already. And I think that there's the, it, I think that there's going to be a time in the future where retail users who are not as tech savvy uh, will just, you know, use an app on their phone to make a trade. And that trade is just going to go through all of the blockchains and all of the scaling solutions to find the most efficient and most secure trade and, and execute that trade. And the, the end user will have no idea which blockchain they are using or where that trade went potentially that's that who knows how far out in the future that is but i think what what's really important is you know like polygon we focus on developers and we listen a lot to developers which is why that we have this this wide array of scaling solutions because <clears throat> when we talk to DeFi developers, when we talk to metaverse NFT developers, governments, uh, enterprise, Fortune 500 companies, nonprofit organizations, they all have different trade-offs that they are willing to make when they're building their own Web3 app, when they're onboarding to the blockchain. And whether that's you know using the Polygon proof of stake chain, the not, maybe privacy is a focus, so they could use Polygon Nightfall, with, which has a privacy element to it, or they want to build their own app-specific chain. Uh, we have Polygon Supernets to that. Where we are right now and where we will be in, in the future when it comes to multi-chain, it's, it's hard to determine how far away that we are because bridging is... a is kind of an issue right now, right? I think that, you know, we see a lot of vulnerabilities and exploits that have been happening on the bridging side. And I think, you know, there needs to be a little more resilience and a little more focus on security when it comes to the bridging of assets. But we are seeing, I am seeing personally on the DeFi side every day, more and more cross-chain like lending and borrowing, cross-chain yield aggregation, and it's it's really inspiring and it's really exciting. And so, you know, I think when it comes to like layer ones and layer twos and other scaling solutions um, and other, you know, just layer ones in general, it's really just 
focusing on what do the developers need in their toolkit to build exactly what they want. Uh, because every chain is different uh, when it comes down to it. And it, every single chain and scaling solution and, and L1 has its own security, scalability trade-offs, you know, the scalability trilemma. And I think it's just important for us and everyone here to help to provide developers with those tools to onboard the next 1 billion users to Web3. Thank you very much, Justin. Let's, um, let's, uh, Ertzman, um from Secret. Um, do you want to go next? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think both Polygon and Juno lay out how the future might look, right? As in, we already have an interchain ecosystem. People are bridging everywhere. Cross-chain DEX aggregation already exists. But I think the, the next feature, which uh, people are sometimes missing or which is really needed as well is to, to focus on, on smart contracts. So it doesn't only end where we are able to send an asset through different chains in a secure manner, uh, for example, via IBC, which is something that offers native security, but also start to exploring uh, ideas and mechanisms where you can send arbitrary data. So smart contracts cross different chains. Um, and I think this is in the, the, the end all be all where you create an interesting ecosystem because chains are by that point inherently connected. If you want to execute a contract on Juno from Secret, you can uh, simply, simply say you want to. Uh, you use the native security of IBC and, and you can build your application completely on Secret or completely on Juno, still using both of the ecosystems uh, still getting both of the users. And this is slowly transferring into, into other C ecosystems. So we, we've seen a, an application launch on, on Testnet on Secret, which is trying to do this for, for Ethereum. So they're enabling Ethereum users to execute contracts on Secret Network. Um, and, and this is slowly growing out to a, to a bigger ecosystem where all chains are automatically connected and we really are living in an app chain future. So you no longer have to be dependent on solely so the, the chain you are building on, you can make your own chain for your application so that it has all the items you need, even horizontally scale your chain, but still be able to use any and all other protocols you want to integrate with, whether these are DAO protocols or privacy enhancing protocols or simple storage. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see that come to life. And I think um, that really is the vision. Um, in my opinion, Cosmos has, um, has really uh, shut out and shown how this is possible already with, with change like Jackal launching for specifically storage and cross-chain DEX aggregators working and Osmosis, of course, is with mesh, mesh security. So um, I think the future on this is bright and it's, uh, it's easy to abstract this complexity away from users as uh, block times are smaller and smaller. Um, so seeing this, uh, this work on... Um, on Cosmos, I think it's really cool to see, and I'm I'm sure it will make ways into the EVM space as well. And, and very very soon, chains on all different levels will be connected in a, in a way where we don't only have to transfer value, but can transfer contract calls and any any data you want as well. That sounds like a very interesting future. Um, Phantom, um, we haven't heard from you in a little while. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I I broadly agree with what a lot of the previous speakers have been saying I've, i think right now like um in the present day it is kind of a multi-chain environment and 
there are a number of like um, different chains that users tend to use. Users don't tend to use just like one technology or one chain. They use they they tend to use multiple different chains depending on the sort of applications that they want to do or the sort of like liquidity they want to access. And that's kind of like interconnected via like bridges at the moment, which you know have their advantages and also have their disadvantages. So people can um, you know simply um, send assets from one chain to another using the bridge as a custody. Um, I think in the future, the bridge security will continue to evolve at, at, at a much faster pace. So it should be more secure to these to do these sorts of bridge transactions. I also think the whole idea about so-called like layer zero technologies is also very interesting. Um, I'm not really sure technically how it would work being able to integrate with a variety of different like L1s or other like platforms out there, given that the way that they process and come to consensus are all kind of different from one another. Um, and that's kind of like beyond the scope of my knowledge, to to be honest, and not exactly like my problem focusing on an L1. Um, but I do think that in the future, you know, we might, people aren't going to be, you know, using like 30 or 40 chains. I think there'll be like a few chains, maybe five or so that people use on a regular basis. Um, just like how in, um, in um, when it comes to the internet, you know, people don't really use like 30 or 40 different messaging apps people tend to use a few messaging apps out there. Those few messaging apps that people use um, get a lot of users. And so I think the user experience will improve dramatically um, for all the chains out there. And as um, someone um, on this um, uh, uh, on this Twitter space already mentioned, like I do think that uh, applications will be already integrated with multiple chains such that when somebody submits um, a transaction to it, it will already be able to draw resources from all the chains. In fact, we already have that to some extent, but it is on so-called like cross-chain swaps where you do one swap on one chain and it will like analyze the liquidity on all sorts of different chains and kind of like optimize um, your transaction. And I think you'll start to see more of that sort of activity in the future. Fantastic. Um, Osmosis, I know you actually had your hand up. Have you got anything else to add to this question? Yeah, uh, I just was going to touch a little bit on uh, kind of like the multi-chain aspect that was being talked about where chains are going to be able to speak with each other. And uh, you know, Phantom just talked about uh, how you know, the future, he's you know, thinking that a chain will be able to interact and execute things in another chain. Uh, Cosmos is kind of already working on things like interchain accounts where uh, uh, like Stride, which is a liquid staking protocol, can execute actions on the osmosis chain so from from the stride protocol you can execute a transaction or action on our osmosis chain through that interchain account Um, and you know with with the idea of a multi-chain future i'm just excited that it really creates no central point of failure Uh, with with the idea of mesh security there's everyone providing security to everyone just like in the sense of native Mm -hmm. overall we're all in here to defend everyone. So um, yeah, just, just wanted to put that in there. Yeah, I, I love that concept of mesh security. It seems like, I think Sonny put it as that if there's economic um, incentive across chain, then it also makes sense to help secure the other chain. Um, and it, it just makes so much sense to me. Um, Ken, uh, I haven't seen you since since Paris ECC. How are you doing? Are you, have you got any thoughts on this question? Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to belabor the point. Uh, the, you know, I guess I, I'd, compliment, I'd complement the, the discussion by taking the standpoint of the, the end users um, you know, and probably a lot of um, 
people in the audience are not developers and they're end users and they're um, you know, the, the way that you know, they're looking at it is in a few ways, right? So first of all, it's, it's important to keep in mind that most end users don't start uh, by joining a chain, right? They start by onboarding a crypto exchange. And on that crypto exchange, they don't really know or care uh, where their cryptos are, on which chain their cryptos are. They, you know, they invest in some cryptos because they believe in the project and because they need some, some blue chip token. And so they end up with a portfolio that uh, subsequently they might want to migrate into self-custody and um, into DeFi applications. And so you know, we have to go where the users are and we have to recognize that when they, you know, by the time they become self-custodial and join a chain, they have a history with some projects. Um, and you know, because of that, they, their assets or the projects that they believe in are spread over multiple chains. Uh, so we, for us being, you know, the reality of the multi-chain future and the reason why we want to bridge and connect to both the Ethereum and the, and the Cosmos ecosystem uh, is because uh, we're um, realizing that this is the starting point for most users. And the second thing I would highlight is that, I, oh, I think also, you know, uh, competition and innovation are important and, um, you know, for us all to compete with each other is important to innovation. I don't know if Ethereum would have um, successfully completed the merge uh, if there were not POS chains uh, snipping at its heels um, and gaining market share from it. Uh, and so I think it was good for everyone that um, there was enough competition for the Ethereum ecosystem to rally uh, and mobilize around the merge and the reduction in energy consumption of Ethereum. And in a way, I think we're all sort of department stores. We're just trying to curate and offer to users the best possible investment and entertainment, entertainment opportunities. Some of us will be more curated. Uh, some of us will be more institutional. Uh, some of us will be defined by the language and personality of the communities that we serve. Uh, for us, you know, the, the association with Crypto.com uh, is, is part of how we define ourselves, and we serve that that user base by providing it uh, access to um, like profitable and entertaining applications. And so, I think it's great that there is uh, competition and collaboration at the same time. Fantastic, thank you very much, uh, Ken. Uh, Nate, taking in what everyone's sort of been been saying there and running a, a news organization in in the space and i know that you, you utilize all the chains what's what's your thoughts of uh, everyone's thinking around the multi-chain future and, and do you share the same thoughts as the protocols themselves yeah i would say overall where we're at right now is a multi-chain future and speaking just personally not on not uh from crypto slate's point of view i've been pretty fascinated with the cosmos ecosystem for the past uh, two years now, I really like what Osmosis is doing and the really kind of what seems like a more applicable approach of layer zero with layer ones building on top of them. But I think right now there's so many interesting app specific chains and um, it, it remains to be seen. I think we won't really know how multi-chain the world truly is for at least five to 10 years from now. But uh, we love covering this stuff on CryptoSlate. This really this gets us excited. Amazing. I, I concur. Um, Miles, let's go back to you for the next question, please, sir. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Well, um, 
right now we are going to talk about the the builders that and the question is um, does the developer experience differ on your blockchain as opposed to other blockchains so we want to hear from you what are the advantage that you are giving to builders to build in, in your blockchains? Who uh, want to start? Yes. Let's, let's pass that over to Gino, if that's okay. So that'll be either Dimmy or Jake. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take that one. Uh, we're probably a little bit different because we don't use the EVM. Um, love the EVM, respect the EVM. That's where I got my start as a smart contract developer. But um, there's a lot of not so great things about Solidity. Um, it's actually really hard to write good secure Solidity code. Um, you can't use existing libraries. There's, uh, li there's a limited developer base you can kind of tap into. Uh, and the performance kind of just frankly sucks. Um, like the EVM is not very performant. But there is this huge library of applications that you can use, which is, I think, the main reason most chains like are leaning towards the EVM, because then you can use, you can fork Uniswap and you can fork Gnosis Safe and 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 all those things. Um, we're using a different. We're trying to build a developer ecosystem around a new smart contract technology uh, called Cosmosm, and so we run our smart contracts inside the WebAssembly virtual machine. Um, What's important about this for a layperson is WebAssembly has been highly optimized to be very secure. It runs actually in your browser. So if you're using like Safari on your phone today, WebAssembly actually can, can run inside of it. Um, it's highly optimized, super, super fast, um, and can do a lot of compute, um, which is, is great for in doing things like ZK pro protocols and things like that. Um, but the really cool thing about Walsam is uh, or about WebAssembly is that many languages compile to it. One of the biggest problems that developers in this space have, or teams in this space have, is recruiting um, devs to work on their project. Um, the great thing about WebAssembly is you can use existing languages like Rust and Go. So we already have support for Rust and Go in Cosmosm, and it's possible to add like a lot more. So um, C++, C, C Sharp, uh, Scala, Java, these are all languages that compile to WebAssembly. Even TypeScript, if you use a strict subset of it, will compile to, to WebAssembly. And so that's millions of more developers that could be writing smart contracts that aren't. Um, so we're, we're really focused on kind of building out this new Cosmosm ecosystem. And, and you know, the other really cool thing about it is it's, I think, the first and probably like best and maybe even like only a smart contracting lang lang language that allows you to build interchain protocols. So you can build these low-level IBC applications like mesh security. Mesh security is a great example of a custom IBC protocol that is built with Cosmosm. And um, we're like spearheading that effort with Osmosis. And it's a really great example of the kinds of these novel new kinds of interchain applications that you can build with smart contract technology like, like Cosmosm. Uh, and we're, all, we're also doing a lot of work on the whole ZK side of things. Um, I just uh, published, you know, one of the first like ZK examples um, uh, using Risk Zero. We have a, a lot more examples for like building zero knowledge smart contracts on the way. But um, yeah, Fan yeah, brilliant. Thanks, thanks for your answer there. So just to make it really clear with this question, it's does the d developer experience different on your blockchain as opposed to 
other blockchains so even for you ibc chains here um just is there a different developer experience on on your chain compared to something else that's ibc compatible as well um and i will pass that on to uh artiman who's uh, got his hand up yeah so i'll quickly answer your question first yeah the developer experience on all the cosmos chains can be different but it doesn't have to be different uh, in theory, we, you could launch a, a similar chain as Juno, have the same uh, Cosm Wasm version, have the same modules enabled, and have a very similar experience. But in reality, it seems that uh, every single chain focuses on their own applications or their own specifics. So all, every chain is a little bit different in that sense. So for example, Secret has um, private smart contracts. So some features that are standard available in CosmWasm are, are not available in our chain, specifically to make sure everything is uh, secure and private. So we focus on um, adding some extra tools that allow us developers to not only develop the, the CosmWasm contracts uh, Jake was just talking about, but have um, make it so these contracts can have encrypted inputs, output, and state. So you're you you have options available like true randomness within your contract. Um, you're able to um, host private keys on the network so you can save things in the contract on the network without someone else seeing it. Saving stuff like uh, like private keys uh, is, is used in, for example, bridges, uh, which is secret. And there are a lot more novel IDs there. But besides that, I, I think something interesting to mention on top of how development works on Cosmos is that um, a lot of opportunities actually come from modules that are enabled. So the Cosmos SDK, which is the framework a lot of uh, Cosmos ecosystem layer one chains use, has different modules for different things you want to do. So two very cool ones I like are called AuthC and uh, the FeeGrant module, where the AuthC module basically enables any developer to, to write contracts where they gain permissions over using someone else's wallet. So this creates options like decentralized wealth management where a user simply gives permission to the contract for only doing some, some actions, only some moments at the time and only for an X amount of, uh, of wealth, for example. And then these actions can be performed by the smart contract without the user having, having to do any extra transactions. So an application like Restake, for example, allows you to uh, auto-compound your staking rewards on, for example, a ledger uh, or a hot wallet without ever, without you ever having to sign a transaction again. Because you say that this validator can only compound your transactions a few times. So I think these modules also add a lot of uh, good developer experience and possibilities to the Cosmos uh, networks. Uh, in general, which are not feasible on other other chains, on top of, of course, having uh, this very much needed privacy for your smart contracts on a chain like Secret. That man, that's an absolutely fantastic response, and was the sort of answer I was really sort of hoping for. Like, so the nuances of different chains, even within, say, the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, before I just move over to uh, Justin again on Polygon to see what uh, the EVM response is, just want to remind everyone: like, feel free to invite your friends to this space, like, share it. And remember to get ready to ask your questions at the end. There is a $500 price pool for that. But there's some amazing uh, people on, on this space. So if we can uh, share it out so that more people can can learn and find out more. Education is a, is a really key aspect of Web3 that 
Um, I'm very uh, passionate about making sure that we kind of help educate people in the best way that they can. Um, but with that being said, Justin, what's your thoughts? Any different on uh, Polygon from other chains to develop on? Yeah, I would say that Polygon is a, is a big believer in the EVM model. And uh, I, I would say that, you know, we support anything crypto related, right? I mean, when it comes down to it, the ethos of crypto is to bring self-sovereignty to the individual, the ability to opt out of the traditional finance system, if you so choose so. And uh, I think, you know, in that, you know, there's a lot of different languages that you can use when you're developing your applications, whether it's Move or Rust or Solidity or or whatever else is out there. But I, I think, you know, we learned early on that the EVM model right now, at least, is is the easiest for developers because it, it is the most popular right now at, at the moment from a smart contract standpoint. And so what we are set out to do is, you know, all of our seven scaling solutions that we have right now are EVM compatible or EVM equivalent. Um, and that's that's just so, you know, it, it we make it easier for developers to, you know, if they're on another EVM chain to just, in a sense, copy and paste with minimal changes to their code onto these different blockchains. But then even outside of that, and, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, if you are a nonprofit, or if you are a Fortune 500 company, or if you're a gaming studio, you're going to have different preferences and trade-offs on what you're willing to sacrifice when it comes to building your application on the blockchain. And that's why we have this large suite of scaling solutions that are either live or in development right now, right? The Polygon Proof of Stake chain, it's just, you know, your standard EVM-enabled side chain. Um, our validator contracts, our staking contracts are actually on the Ethereum blockchain. And so there is Ethereum alignment there as well outside of the EVM model. We also have the supernets where you can have your own app specific chain if you choose to do so there. Maybe not the best solution for DeFi because you do really love that composability with DeFi. And, you know, we, we've got Polygon Avail, which is a data availability layer. We have Polygon Zero, which is a ZK rollup that is using the Plonky 2 ZK technology. We've got Polygon Maiden, which is Stark based. Polygon ZK EVM, which has been, it's an open testnet right now. And that is an EVM equivalent, which essentially means copy and paste from Ethereum virtual, you know, from Ethereum mainnet onto ZK EVM. And then we've got Polygon Nightfall, which is a, that's that's really enterprise focused. That's a privacy focused rollup that uses uh, optimistic, uh, it's optimistic on a rollup standpoint, but then it uses ZK technology on the execution part for, for privacy. And I think something else that really sets us apart, uh, aside from giving developers the option of what they want to choose when they're developing their decentralized application is our business development efforts is also very helpful. I feel like, and that's not just, you know, trying to, you know, reaching out to different protocols and enterprises to build on our scaling infrastructure, uh, whichever one they choose, but also helping teams to connect the dots. We are in constant communication with all of our gaming, DeFi, enterprise, institution teams, and trying to just build this community because we want innovation, we want collaboration, and we want composability. Because when you have more composability opportunities, that's going to attract 
developers, right? And when you have more developers building more applications, that's going to that's going to bring in more users, which brings in more developers, which brings in more users, and that's it. Just creates this snowball effect, and that that's kind of our focus right now is focusing on that snowball effect and connecting different protocols and team members mm-hmm. to each other so they can continue to just build and uh, allowing those them to have the option for those scaling solutions as well. I mean, I absolutely love the response in that you've basically got two people from different chains here arguing that um, different languages are, are the easiest to, uh, to, to talk on. I feel like we're going to need like a cross-chain hackathon to prove which one's best at this point. Um, but on that, let's give, let's give um, Phantom a chance to, uh, to have the thoughts on what it's like to build on Phantom. Yeah, so as I mentioned like um, uh, earlier on um, introduction, um, Phantom is like an EVM-based chain meaning that we have our own consensus layer but we're fully compatible with on um, the same smart contract stack that ethereum has so the way that you would write and deploy smart contracts on ethereum works pretty much the same way as on phantom that being said as someone else mentioned um uh, on, on the twitter space there are a lot of scalability issues with the evm and not just the evm which is one component of smart con- of the execution of smart contracts but many different aspects of um the smart contract engine namely um uh, uh, being able to like read and write um, data fast onto the chain. So what we kind of discovered in our own uh, profiling of Phantom and and also Ethereum is that approximately like eighty three to eighty five percent of block transaction time is actually spent um, simply reading and writing data, and that's because the the way that you do that right now doesn't scale with the growth of the chain. In other words, like as the chain continues to grow in size, it becomes slower and slower and slower to execute smart contracts. And so, like what we've identified at Phantom is replacing uh, basically the Ethereum virtual machine with our own virtual machine that we call the Phantom virtual machine, and then also replacing the current storage solution with our own storage solution, which allows you to um, um, access data in constant time. And so, it's completely unbounded compared to the size of your chain. Um, and and both of those projects are in the prototype prototype stage at the moment. They are built. They're being tested against the. 40 or so million blocks that we have on Phantom at the moment. And we'll be looking to push that to our mainnet sometime early next year. Um, what's important to emphasize is that um, we want to maintain Solidity compatibility 100%. And even though Solidity is, to be honest, not a great programming language in many ways, it is the, the programming language that most people know how to program with, right? <laughs> it is like the, the number one smart contract language out there. And even though there are alternative smart contract languages out there for say Ethereum, which you know by default like Phantom like does support, they're nowhere near as popular as say Solidity. And so what we're doing with our new technology stack is making sure that it's com- completely compatible with Solidity. So there won't be any change um, from the, the developer's point of view, except that they would have to run maybe a different sequence of commands than how you would uh, typically deploy on Ethereum or Phantom right now. But um, we definitely are, you know, uh, we definitely are, will be, sorry, we definitely will be very, still very similar to the way that you'd be able to develop another EVM-based chains. It's just that the underlying technology will be a lot more scalable than it currently is. Very interesting indeed. Um, Ken, what's, what's your thoughts on the question? Any, any different on uh, Kronos? Yeah, so... Um... So Kronos, uh, as a reminder, is uh, EVM compatible. So the um, uh, developer experience um, 
from a technical standpoint, is very much um, similar to that on uh, Phantom, Polygon, Ethereum, BNB Chain, etc. And you know, I think we're really practical in the in the sense that we realize, and on purpose, you know, have made sure that our technology uh, is um, leveraging the best that the Cosmos SDK, the Go Ethereum client, and the open source community have to offer, and, and we're really leveraging that. Um, I think the way that we're thinking about the developer experience is a bit broader than just um, like the programming language or the technical performance. Uh, it's also, you know, we're looking at developers as founders as well. And so the question that we're asking ourselves is how do we make Web3 founders uh, successful, many of whom are developers and come from a technical background. And you know, there are other considerations that are important to them. Uh, so for many NFT creators, the energy, um, the environmental footprint is a, is a big consideration. So uh, one differentiation here is that uh, um, Kronos is carbon neutral. And then uh, for many founders uh, who have, and people who have built businesses like I have in the past, like, you know, user acquisition is really what makes or breaks a business. And so uh, you know, the, the value proposition that we have towards founders is that we help them from the start of their project uh, to find an audience and to grow an audience um, and to make it to the big leagues. Uh, so for us, this starts with uh, the accelerator program that we have set up uh, that is funded by a $100 million fund on Kronos Chain. This, uh, you know, once you go through the accelerator program, then you start also taking advantage of the partnership that we have with uh, Crypto.com. So you're featured in the Crypto.com DeFi wallet um, and you start getting access to the 50 million users that uh, Crypto.com has access to around the world, which is as big as all, uh, you know, the entire universe of people who are using dApps today. Uh, and then ultimately, we give you um, uh, advice and the perspective from uh, the standpoint of um, crypto investors on like how you're going to get the best chance of you know, what are the ways that you're going to increase your chances that your token is going to be attractive to crypto traders and ultimately listed. And so it's really the support that we provide to founders throughout that journey. Uh, and the access to end users that we are helping to to provide that we think is is key in our differentiation. Uh, I think so far the bet has paid off, and that positioning has paid off. So we are uh, less than a year old, and we're already more than sixty percent of the total value locked of Polygon, for example. Um, so I think you know, and when you look at the the, the very good performance of BNB Chain as well, uh, I think it proves that there's a there's a space for those chains that um, tackle the founder, the developer experience from the standpoint of helping founders be successful. Fantastic, thank you very much. Um, Tana, Osmosis, do you have anything to, to add to the question in terms of building on Osmosis? Uh, not too much to add. Uh, osmosis, uh, building on Osmosis is uh, kind of easy with that, kind of what, uh, what Jake was saying, Cosmos SDK, Cosmosm. Uh, is something that's really helping our developers and ecosystem connect with our, our dApps and the tooling that is getting built to do those things, like uh, things like Telescope and Create Cosmos app is something being worked on. Uh, and then also 
just as far as developing in the Cosmos ecosystem in general, I think it's uh, for developers that want to come and have sovereignty. The, the Cosmos ecosystem is a place that really allows that with uh, Cosmos SDK, mesh security coming up, and the ability to interact with other chains through IPC. Um, I think those are things that are as developers, I think that's something that is attractive, um, and especially coming up in the multi-chain future, um, I think that's just going to be a little more evident. Fantastic. Thanks very much for your answer. Miles, um, back to you. Okay, let's go to the next question. I think this is for the EBM builders here. So um, I want to ask you, um, why build a layer one? as opposed to build on top of an interoperable layer such as Cosmos. So who want to start? Phantom, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, some of the advantages you get from like building on Phantom is a whole bunch of like um, technical support. So not just like integration support to deploy on Phantom and, the, and, and walking through that, but also some uh, support in terms of like um, being able to secure your smart contract. So we have a smart contract auditing, um, continuous auditing technology called like Watchdog that's deployed on Phantom. <laughs> that means that um, basically like you add a smart contract um, to the Watchdog list and you automatically have your smart contracts be analyzed against um, um, over like 80 plus exploits, right? And, and it's increasing over time. And not only are the exploits not only are the exploits analyzed that are specific to your smart contract, but also like how your smart contract interacts with other smart contracts on the chain. And the automatic like audit reports get, they get generated basically like every few hours. And so it basically complements like a manual audit out there without, you know, additional costs, without having to get an, without having to wait in the queue to get an order done without having to get an order done like each and every time that you make a change to your underlying code. And I think that's like a big value add that, that we add like to deploy on Phantom. I mean, like like other like um um you know strong um uh, strong reasons are um, coming uh, come down to like security as well. So when you deploy an application on Phantom, you take um full advantage of all the validators on, on the network. You take full advantage of all the security properties on chain at both the smart contract level and the and at the consensus level as well. And once we roll out this new middleware technology, we've got under development. Uh, uh, the the amount of scalability that takes place on chain while still maintaining the exactly the same security properties will be like many fold higher we suspect so you know that's um, these are the sorts of reasons why somebody might want to deploy in Phantom from a technical point of view and of course being EVM compatible um, if you want to deploy multiple chains which is what many applications do it's very easy to write your application once and deploy on say Ethereum Phantom and and other chains that are out there. That's fantastic. That fantastic answer. I want to actually just flip the question and go over to um, Tanner Osmosis here. So why in reverse? Like, can you think of a reason why you would build on uh, a different layer one other than IBC? Like playing devil's advocate here, is there anything you wish was within the ecosystem or are you just full on Cosmos Maxi at this point? Um, I, I'm definitely a full-on uh, IBC Cosmos Maxi. Uh, I think, uh, I do think that, you know, what what Phantom was talking about, where you can get the secure, you get the full access of security that Phantom offers. Um, 
I kind of think of mesh security as like an interchain security v4 model where if you do want to come and build your layer one blockchain, you're not only receiving security from one or two blockchains that are connected, you're receiving security from the mesh of security that's within the entire cosmos. Um, um, I think that if you just want to build an application and your ideas, you don't have an idea to go full on sovereign um, and you don't need to have your a full governance type thing, right? Uh, if you're just building just like a little dApp, um, you know, something like, uh, if you're building a, a, a yield farming app uh, that's going to be on the Osmosis blockchain, that's you know, that might be something that you might find easier um, in another you know, in another ecosystem. And definitely, if you want to just work with the EVM network solely, right? Like that's there are definitely some developers out there that just want to work in Solidity and stay within the EVM. And we're you know, I, it, within IBC, we're also working towards developing getting the EVM into the cosmos with uh, application with blockchains like Evmos and things like that. So kind of running off topic there, but my, my yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm IBC maxi through and through. <laughs> I do. I do think that everything offered to developers on the other side of the grass is also offered over here. And then some. Okay. Let's continue the debate with Ken. What's your rebuttal? Do you have one? Do you wish you were on Cosmos? I mean, you built on the SDK, so it's actually quite an interesting question for you, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're uh, built on the Cosmos SDK and uh, we support uh, IBC. So we're um, you know, definitely buying into multiple theses uh, at the same time. We're buying into the theses that um, you need to be where the developers are and offer them the tools and language that they're um, used to, uh, which is today Solidity and uh, all the tools, all the tooling around Ethereum. Uh, but we also buy into this um, uh, vision around like sovereign chains uh, having a reason to exist. And um, for the reasons that we outlined at the beginning of this call, right? Um, many reasons why it makes sense to have to to continue to live in a multi-chain world. And so we, we, are we have fully embraced the Cosmos SDK uh, as a technology. Our team uh, is contributing to Cosmos. Um, we're not just using the technology. Um, we're trying to pay back our debt to society. Uh, so we're big fans of it as well. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Go on then, Justin. Surely you've, you've got a full rebuttal. Why, why EVM is king? Well, I, okay, so I, I would say EVM is king. And I think uh, I may have been misquoted earlier when uh, someone said that I said that EVM was, was the easiest. I, I just said it's the most popular. I don't think, I don't think uh, Solidity okay. is necessarily the easiest language to, to write in. So just, well, I think you might have just said what, something in the lines of it was the, the best language for developers. I actually think you might have said then. You, you definitely uh, maybe, maybe, the most, maybe the most popular at, at, at the moment, okay. but either way, either way, um, semantics, I guess, I guess you can but... walk it back as well. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah. And first thing I want to say, like, I, I am a huge fan of Cosmos and, and that ecosystem and, you know, Tendermint consensus uh, is, I think, uh, it's something that has brought the industry along like a, a very, very long way. And I'm also a big fan of Phantom and their DeFi ecosystem, uh, particularly me working on the 
DeFi team, big fan of Beethoven in that team over there. And I, I could think of just a lot of a lot of great innovative projects that are coming out of all of these different ecosystems. And it's it's really a pleasure just to be on on the same stage. But you know, when it comes to like building your own chain versus doing a, a, a layer two. It's really just up to the, the purposes of the developer, right? It, it, like at Polygon, we have our supernets, right? Which is an app-specific chain. And there are some decentralized finance applications that probably run better in their own siloed environment, right? And I think what's really great about the supernets is that if you are an app developer, you can build your own blockchain essentially, but you don't have to bootstrap the validators or the consensus mechanism there are tweaks that you can make to it, I believe, but you can just use our existing validators that are that are already on, um, you know, that are validating transactions on the Polygon proof of stake chain, leverage those to, you know, validate your transactions. And when it comes to cross chain messaging with the supernets, we've recently partnered with Axelar and there's some other interesting uh, protocols who are doing other things like this. But, you know, uh, it is important in a sense from like a composability standpoint to have that cross chain messaging. But uh, some, you know, some protocols might not prefer that. And it's really just up to their decision. And, you know, I think if you're going to build your own app specific chain i think that works really well on the gaming side and maybe like very unique DeFi projects like prediction markets and like dydx does does similar things like that um but when it comes to DeFi apps that need that composability within the ecosystem right like you've got pool together that's built on top of the ave protocol and good ghosting that's built on top of the ave protocol and you've got a so many, you know, DEX aggregators that that source transactions from every single DEX, uh, you know, th- that's where you probably want to be on the layer two side as opposed to the layer one side, in my opinion. Fantastic. Um, I've just discovered the soundboard in Twitter Spaces. Um, I'm going to give you a round of applause, potentially. Oh, there we go. Look at that. Look at that cute. Um, but from that round of applause, um, Gino, um, what, what's your thought on the, on the, uh, the debate going on here? So I think that's Demi or Jake. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've got a spicy take. I mean, EVM is king now, but like, I remember a time when PHP was like the language that you built web applications in. And if you, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going here. Uh, like, sorry, I'm gonna be enjoying this for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's morning. We gotta like spice things up a little bit. Um. Yeah, no one builds applications in PHP anymore. I mean, the same thing happened with like COBOL as well. I mean, I started in Solidity, but like the big feature of Solidity is the copy paste ability. And guess what? Like, it, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like all the Solidity developers are on Ethereum. All these other people that are just like EVM chains, like it's just copy paste. Like, and that's the great thing about it. Um, we're getting to that point with like Cosmosm where we also have the copy paste ability. Like you can copy and paste like, you know, some DAO tooling from Juno and put it on osmosis. And that, that's going to happen. Um, yeah. I, I really like these sound effects. It, it really does. I'm like, sorry, that, that, was a, that was meant to apparently be like a thumbs up. Yeah. It sounded like a fart. Sorry, I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like, uh, you know, we're kind of reaching like just starting, I think, for the first time. It's been a lot of work to get there to reach like smart contract parity. And also getting to the point where I think like, you know, some of our smart contracts are actually like better than what you get on Ethereum. Like the DAO smart contracts, just to show that for a little bit, is like it's basically like more powerful than any DAO tooling that exists on 
on Ethereum. You can do things, you could, you have all the interchain functionalities as well. So like a DAO on Juno can LP its treasury on osmosis or have a vault on secret network where it has a secret treasury. Um, so you get this like really true, like cross chain composability thing that's like starting to happen. So yeah, I mean, EVM's king now, but like, you know, all empires die. Ooh. <laughs> um, also, but just to qualify that a little bit, like, yeah. EVM is going to be around for like 50 plus years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got you. So, um, so if I can just kind of inter- interrupt very quickly about the last week, I, I, I do agree sure. that you know, Solidity is not a great language. It's, it's actually kind of crap in many ways, right? So it might be the case that, you know, the, the, the EVM and, and the programming language like kind of like different, right? So you can have like different languages compiled to the same like EVM or, or underlying technology stack. So I do think there is definitely like a chance that Solidity will not be around um, in the long term and that maybe there will be like other languages that replace it. I kind of hope so, actually. <laughs> I think it'll be better for everyone. Yeah, the, the horror about like not having integer overflows. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe to quickly add to, to what some people were talking about, by the way, is a, a common misconception is that you build on Cosmos. But I always like to say that you actually build with Cosmos. So okay. we all have to, the choice to have our own layer one or build on top of a Cosmos layer one. But you have this choice to be an app-specific chain or or launch your own layer one with the complete Cosmos stack. And, and this is, of course, very different from many EVM ecosystems where you're sort of bound to yeah, make an application on one of the EVM layer ones and, and therefore not tie your governance or your DAO to the chain security, which is sometimes a plus and sometimes not. But it's a, a cool differentiator. So Cosmos is not really the base protocol. It's just a, a very big software kit which everybody can use and, and enhances interoperability between all these protocols fantastic thank you very much um i think i was actually slightly muted so thank you for jumping in there um because i was about to invite you onto the stage um miles do you mind if i just jump onto one of my questions because I, I know that we're kind of um, we're pushing on for time and there's there's one that i'm, I'm really keen to see what everyone has a, a thought on is that okay miles hey well nice nice answers guy and let's move on and what I, I, no it's all good yeah go for it i i thought you you saw something sorry uh what uh, what is the unique selling point for for your blockchain uh what makes your chains unique we talk about this but well and if you want to stand on on this topic you you can use this this moment sure um let's let's try and Let's do just one EVM and one uh, Cosmos for, for for this question. Yeah. Um, so, any anyone from EVM want to um, put their hand up to jump on this, or just say me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you? What was the question? So the question is, what what's the? I mean, this is what I always say. Maybe we should just jump onto the next question because I feel like we've maybe covered this, but. Are there any unique selling points about your blockchain that makes it unique? Do you feel? Yeah, I feel like we we kind of already covered that question. Yeah, it was I think like what, you know, so, unique so, to developers. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm gonna keep you on for this one question, which hopefully maybe a little bit more spicy as well. So post merge, how do you feel about the increase in censorship at the protocol layer 
for Ethereum, uh, especially given uh, MEV boost relays. Um, I actually put an article out today that showcased that now 93% of all validators that use relays are now um, uh, OFAC compliant, therefore censoring the chain. And I think 63% of all blocks produced today are also uh, OFAC compliant, therefore censoring the blockchain. What are your thoughts on that for the future of Ethereum? Yeah, I think this is a very, it can be a very nuanced and very difficult topic to address. But I think, you know, you can still, I mean, Ethereum does still have that censorship resistance in the sense that you do still have validators and nodes that are submitting transactions that are not necessarily OFAC compliant. And so those transactions are still getting into blocks. It's just taking a very, very long time, not a very, very long time. Uh, but it, it's taking a lot longer than it would for an OFAC compliant mm-hmm. uh, transaction to get through, right? And I, I think that it is something that Ethereum needs to focus on, um, maybe a little bit more near term. I think for the for a very very long time, Ethereum has been focusing on scaling, and I think we're, I think we're there. Um, I think we've done enough on the scaling side. Where we've got Arbitrum, Optimism, we've got Polygon, we've got you know zk scroll, we've got dk sync, we've got Starkware. So the the scaling is is here, right? And I think that the priority should probably shift to two different things. Um, number one being a more robust censorship resistance at the base layer and probably and probably privacy is something that we also need to focus on as well. And there are solutions that are being proposed on the censorship resistance level, like a proposer builder separation or PBS, where, you know, there are, there are, programs or nodes or individuals who are, are a lot more efficient at, you know, MEV in the way that they create their blocks and how they structure those transactions. And the validator can, instead of like, you just have the proposer or the builder of the block sending that to the proposer and uh, of the of the next block. And then that's a, a way of, of helping to maintain that censorship resistance a little bit. So, so I think right. I think right now it is still censorship resistant. Just not. It, it's just that censorship resistance almost like isn't as efficient as it used to be at this moment. But it yeah, is a I mean, for the Ethereum ecosystem. I think it's just going to take some time. Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated how little attention is being given to it. Given the, I mean, pre-merge, you were looking at like probably less than ten percent of blocks that were being censored. Now in the last month, we've gone up to 63% and it's rising daily um, with more people using flashbots and, and things like that. Um, Artiman, I know that you put your hand up straight away. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think this is really where we try to differentiate as a, as a protocol, right? So Secret Network has, like I said before, encrypted input, output, and state, but this also means that the mempool, so the place where all transactions are gathered, is encrypted by default which makes front-running by validators literally impossible. Yeah. Um, this also removes um, an enormous reliability on these validators that they can potentially sign. They have basically no power over designing, deciding which transaction they want to sign. Like they get a block and this block is completely encrypted, so they don't have any 
active knowledge of what is going to happen. So they have perfect deniability, let's put it like that, uh, for processing anything that wouldn't be potentially OFAC compliant in that case. Mm-hmm. So you create a system where where validators um, yeah, don't get uh, censored uh, for putting out certain transactions because all transactions are equals in their eyes because they don't have any, any vision of what exactly is happening. And other chains are working on this as well. So Secret is, is trying or at least we, we recently pushed that, put out a block, which is detailing Secret 2.0, which will enable um, uh, encryption of the mempool based on multi-party computation. That's also something Osmosis is working on within uh, the ecosystem. They have, uh, they have put out a paper for a potential method to do um, threshold encryption of the mempool, which also removes this um, front-running um, also enables this front-running resistance and removes the censorship from the validators. So maybe that's something they want to talk about as well. But I think having this as a base layer, private by default, an encrypted mempool makes this entire censorship equation a lot easier and enables Secret to focus on other stuff and not on this censorship requirement, which every blockchain should have. So, so yes, I, I think... There is a problem on Ethereum. People are trying to solve it, but um, uh, so people like Fairblock or, or threshold encryption of the mempool is really something that will, will help public chains who don't already have this fully encrypted mempool to, to achieve this censorship resistance they need, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's really a fascinating topic. I've just um, pinned uh, the, the conversation and the article that I, I wrote on this because essentially it's it's not censorship at a protocol level, but it, but it kind of then is as well because the validators, they say, are giving someone else their blocks in order to reorganize and then getting back less blocks that have got the blocks removed that, is, that are OFAC compliant. And I, I just don't see that as crypto for me. That's not de- decentralized future. That's something that's being led by the US. That's my, my personal opinion. And that's why I really want to ask you guys who are far more knowledgeable in the area than I am as to what the real impact is. Um, and I, I'd love to put it over to, to Fonson to get your take on it. Yeah, I, I like to approach this um, from a from a different angle, um, from the technology angle, but more in like the regulatory or like um, or the way that the comments work, right? Yeah, because uh, I, I think a lot of us on this call are you know, totally against a lot of what, of what governments do, right? You know, myself as a libertarian, I don't really like a lot of the regulations the government put out there. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it's the government and the laws that kind of like reign supreme, right? So, you know, no matter what the technology can or cannot do, you kind of have to comply with what the government asks you to do. Otherwise, there are potentially very serious consequences for doing so. I mean, we're, we're kind of seeing that with, um, a number of uh, cases and in investigations that are going on, particularly from the US, from the SEC, and also from the CFTC, um, for the first time investigating um, a DAO, uh, particular project or in relation to uh, how the DAO was structured. So even though you know we might like to talk about how things, um, technology-wise, can be censorship resistant, or how they can be like privacy-preserving transactions, etc., the fact of the matter is is that even though the te- the technology allows you to submit transactions anonymous, anonymously, you know, just taking, for example, like Monero and Dash as examples. Um, the, the fact is, is that if the government were to come to validators, whether they be um, uh, a proof of work chain like Bitcoin or the proof of stake chain like Ethereum or even Phantom or others, and they started putting in requests to find out more information about who's submitting transactions and about 
in particular stopping um, a number of transactions from being submitted on the network. That's a very, very challenging situation to be in. And that's something that definitely needs to have a lot more regulatory clarity because the government wants to know every single transaction related to any sort of value that gets made anywhere around the world and even domestically. And the reason why that all of these AMOL KYC procedures exist are for for banking in particular, right, is because the government wants to be able to trace, you know, the source of funds there, you know, supposedly, you know, to keep up money being funded to the wrong people. And we know that the government, you know, purports to say that, oh, this is for your safety, et cetera. But we know that, that this power can be wielded for many other different reasons. And so I think on the technology side, you know, being able to achieve what we want to achieve is, is definitely like very, very important. But you know, it, um, the regulatory side cannot be ignored at all. And so I think one of the big question marks going forward, in particular related to, say, like decentralized finance, is how will the regulators treat the transactions that are done across these different applications and across these different networks? And that's something that does um, concern me a lot and I think concerns a lot of people um, in, in the industry going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I think uh, ooh, a bit of echo there. Um, I think I think it's a really important area to be looking at. Um, is, is there anyone else that w- would like to jump on? No, Altman's Ar- got uh, something to say in rebuttal, so I'll happily go back to him if uh, everyone else is uh, too afraid of the question. Is that is that what it is? Go on, Altman. <laughs> there is something. I fully agree with you in the fact that it's regulatory clarity which in the end will enable a lot of these applications to truly be censorship resistance and enable the users but i think an important misconception what a lot of people make is that uh, validators or block producers are sort of middlemen um, but they are not really like uh, crypto in general is a peer-to-peer network uh, and although there are facilitators there is no actual middleman in in deciding whether this should happen or can happen or will not happen so i think it's important that even if privacy would become uh, something for the base layer of every single protocol might even ethereum that the reports to be able to report this lies on the user themselves. So if we give users all the abilities to to give access control to the authorities to show what they've done, to be verifiable about about what they have done on this blockchain, then there is no need to to do censorship on this sort of middleman layer the government sees because it's it's unrealistic to think that you can hunt down every single validator for decentralized networks and ask them to give over data if they don't have access to the data. So it removes this entire middleman narrative where you um, yeah, where you start hunting down the people who have actually no um, they have no direct impact on what is happening on the network, but sort of they're they're being put in front of this train, which is just saying, we need all your data, otherwise we do stuff with it. So I think by enabling users to share the data when they need to, uh, while removing weight from validators is really the only way to to keep blockchain censorship resistance over time and enable people to use it in the peer-to-peer manner we all think it should be used. So Mm -hmm. I agree completely here. I think there's a a lot of ways where this can be approved and uh, I hope regulatory clarity around the importance of giving it to the user might help in this uh, this fact over time. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Um, I I won't... uh force anyone else uh, to, to answer if it's uh, if it, and we've also got some some grants in there so uh, we'll move into the, into the next one we've got two more questions um 
And this one is a little bit spicy as well. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate with this question and thinking about it from people outside of the space in terms of DeFi. Um, the question is, is DeFi really the future, given that you rarely hear about legacy banks being hacked, but there's almost an exploit every week in DeFi? I personally use the uh, Rex database in DeFi Yield, um, and I wrote an article the other week um, about how the amount of money lost in DeFi was down in September because we only lost a few hundred million dollars uh, as opposed to the $400 million uh, the month prior. So I want to put that over to um, Osmosis first, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I definitely, that's a, a an interesting question and not definitely not one that just has a straightforward answer I get. I think, like as a human race, we have not really figured out money in the sense of, you know, you know, censorship. Who owns it? You know, where do we keep it? How do we transact it? Um, I do think that DeFi can be a way for the future in the sense that we can allow everyone to be part of part of this this economic activity, um, and we can also be transparent about it, right? We don't have to have a bank or someone that is controlling this sole entity and behind closed doors, uh, making up, you know, making their rules and giving you fees for things that you might not be clear about. In DeFi, we are, you know, very much about giving power back to the people and giving you back ownership of your own assets um, and being able to clearly, transparently see. You know where that has where those have gone where where these funds are being traced to um, I think that mm-hmm. as far as I think as far as like the hacks and stuff go it, you know we're we're still this still is software um there still are bugs we are you know, the the internet wasn't something that you know came out overnight i I do think that we we still have a ways to go uh but I think that as far as like how how as a human race can we handle currency um, globally uh, in a peaceful manner? I think that DeFi, has, like, I think decentralized finance has a way of you know keeping that power back back to the people. Mm-hmm. Like like I said, just being transparent. Yeah, I mean, I I personally couldn't couldn't agree more in the the sort of the ethos and the sort of the thesis for DeFi. <laughs> and for for me, I feel like at least Bitcoin's never been hacked for me. I think like. Because Bitcoin is the more like the, the purest form of blockchain technology that works. And then we're building all these way more complicated things that you guys are all building on your chains. That there, there is a lot more moving parts there and a lot more things to, to, be, to be exploited potentially. Um, but I do think it's, it's, a, it's a valid concern from, <clears throat> say, the general public once it's against DeFi and feeling like it's safe. Uh, Justin, I know you've got your hand up. Yeah, I think when it comes to decentralized finance, I think that it, it definitely is the future. I think that if you are someone who is in the United States or you're in a Western country that has a very well-developed financial infrastructure and financial economy, then it's like DeFi is more of just like a hobby, I think. And it's something that you're, that you're building on for, for the future potentially. But I think, but there, I've also talked to people in, in quite a few different countries who um, it's, it can be more than that to these people. 
where, you know, you don't have, and I'm not just talking about like, you know, like Turkey and Argentina that have high inflation. It's like, oh, so like, of course, they'll take the volatility of Bitcoin over their high inflation rate that they have on their own government issued fiat currency. But it's also just like access to banks, right? Like there's here it's permissionless like to open up a bank account at a bank like you have to show your id you've got to get you've got to be close enough to a bank to sign documents and there's a lot of people throughout the entire world who don't even have that type of access like they don't have ids to open an, a to open a bank account or they don't have you know just the, the means of transportation to get to a branch <clears throat> and all they really need is internet and internet is is pretty it's pretty global right it's not touching every single remote corner of the world just yet but all you really need is a mobile phone and you can spin up a wallet and then you have access to this global financial system because currently our financial markets today are not really that global or not as global as they appear right because if you're in mexico you can't have access to the united states financial system right? You, you can't. Or it's like the more money you have right now in the world, the more access you have to a global financial system. And most people, the strong majority of people don't have that. And I think the permissionlessness of this, and this is what we're all building here together anyway. Um, <clears throat> and when you talk about banks and their hacks, uh, there haven't been any hacks. Well, there is like... It, there is like breach of information, right? Like Equifax, even though it's not a, uh, a bank, they do have a lot of very, very sensitive information. And banks do take a lot of KYC information and that, that is subject to vulnerability and hacks. And, and I think, you know, banks, while they don't necessarily have exploits that can take people's money necessarily, uh they can have much more systemic consequences on a global scale like looking at the 2008 financial crisis as well mm -hmm. and i think when you have the transparency that we have in DeFi as well that also helps to mitigate catastrophic systemic events similar to those because we actually know who owns what and who is owed to what when in the great financial crisis that was part of the issue is that all of these assets and debt instruments were wrapped up and re-commoditized and resold and traded that no one really knew who owed what or who owned what. And that was one of the main issues as well. Yeah, I think one of the ways that I, I think about that exact problem is in Web 2, when there's an exploit, it, you say it's data and the financial impact of that is felt over time and it's not one big headline. Whereas in crypto, the exploits, it's all financial straight away and then potentially some gets clawed back so it actually reduces over time as opposed to increases so it's an interesting way of looking at the difference between exploits in web 2 and web 3 um jake you had, had your hand up have you got some thoughts on this honestly uh plus one like everything said but i, I just wanted to add that there is actually attacks that happen um this is from ftc.gov Consumers reported losing more than $3.3 billion in fraud in 2020. And so wire fraud is actually a really big thing that leads to like billions of dollars of losses. Um, you know, so that like banks get hacked. And I think it's like a less flashy, exactly like you're saying, like, yeah, there's not a big headline about that, but it's happening every day and it harms real people. And it be, it's because in large part, because of these super legacy, like financial rails. 
Um, mm -hmm. And, and this, the stuff know. that Justin was just talking about, there's an exploit of data. It happens over time, happens throughout a year. But that's a lot of money, isn't it? Sorry, I was gonna, I was gonna let you carry on, uh, Jake. I wasn't trying to cut you off. No, I, I, I feel like I, I just agreed with all the other points as well. Like, mm -hmm. as the future, it's it's international. It's just fundamentally more efficient. And guess what? We're battle testing it. Like, we're we're battle testing it in real and like we're like speed running evolution of DeFi at the moment. And what that means is we're building not just a system that's more just and international and robust. Like, we're we're building something that will withstand like nation state level attacks. I don't know if our banking system could withstand a nation state level attack. Yep. C completely with you on that. Um, Ken, have you got any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think if I, for, for the audience, I would repeat the question. So the question yeah, yeah. is like, do we, really need, do we really need DeFi uh, given that right now uh, it's so risky? For everyday users, um, yeah, just, just because we're using the bank, right? Yeah, there's so many headlines and, about money being lost every month in DeFi. Like, is it really the future? Are we going to get a handle on on this at some point? Yep, and so I'll, I'll make a few points. So first of all, uh, clearly, so we are building a technology that is reinventing the financial rails of the global economy. It's a very hard task, and um, it's not helped by uh, the fact that you know, many teams have been cutting corners during the last market cycle. Uh, so I think um, you know, as a community and uh, particularly you know, as um, you know, chain teams who are kind of curating and um, uh, facilitating what's happening in our ecosystem, I think we have a big re responsibility uh, to think about what happened uh, with the bridge hacks and also what happened with Terra. And we have a big responsibility to try and uh, raise the bar. So I think I would say that to start with. Um, and then, yeah, I would, I mean, with respect to why, why it's worth doing what we're doing, I, I would probably take a slightly less ideological uh, um, standpoint regarding the value of DeFi. And I would draw a parallel with Web2, right? So Web2 is a technology that has completely changed the way that we, uh, share information and that we do commerce. And of course, it has hugely benefited um, uh, you know, emerging countries uh, and people who didn't have access to uh, what you can, you know, the information and commerce that is available in big cities. However, um, that market has not um, been the reason, like you, that market has not been the, what has created the business model that has enabled the internet. And so ultimately, if you want to um, survive as a business, you need to have a value proposition that makes money uh, and will ultimately allow um, the wealthier users uh, to pay for some of the benefits that um, smaller ticket users are enjoying from your product. And so I think, um, the for DeFi to exist, DeFi needs to bring to mainstream and more affluent consumers a value proposition that is uh, way better than what the current financial system offers. That's the only way that we're going to survive. And that value proposition cannot be about um, tokens going to the moon because that's not going to, to last for forever. Uh, so I think it's really important to keep in mind like, what fundamentally is attractive about the products that we're building 
And the way I see it is really that, um, so today, um, when you're a big ticket investor, like, you, like you're the hero in the, or not the hero, but you're the billionaire in the show billions, right? You have all those investment banks at your disposal, uh, giving you access to all the liquidity in the world, all the investment opportunities across borders, and uh, allowing you to make your capital you know, the most efficient that it can be. Right? So you can hold some stocks, but even then you hold those stocks and you want to make extra yield on those stocks. Uh, you can lend those stocks to hedge funds who are going to short them and pay you uh, an extra yield on those stocks. So when you're a billionaire, you have access to all those ways to um, generate yield out of your savings and be as efficient as you can be with your portfolio. Mm -hmm. and like yeah yeah no fantastic i was just going to say that like i'm feeling way more bullish on DeFi already with you guys have got some fantastic answers getting me in the in the feels um i know uh tana you, you had some thoughts from osmosis oh yeah i was just uh as as i heard uh i forgot exactly who brought it up but uh talking about the 2008 financial crisis uh, i think that was jake was, yeah yeah so when, yeah when that when that happened and no one you know, no one really knew exactly how it happened. You know, the ownership of assets wasn't fully aware, wasn't you know, fully transparent. Um, so relating to the BNB exploit that just happened, uh, because that protocol was on blockchain, we were able to pinpoint that with accuracy. You know, where the exploit was, what you know, what pro what in the protocol was the exploit, and because that happened, Cosmos also was able to audit our own, you know, our own security and there was an ibc security vulnerability found and a security patch was pushed out to over 50 like 50 security patches was pushed out to various chains within like two or three days um, so you know just like a, a public blockchain decentralized finance economy will allow us to you know pinpoint problems like that with e not i don't want to say ease but we will be able to accurately pinpoint problems like that and improve upon these with accuracy, which is something that I think is very lacking in today's modern financial field. That's a really good point. Like that, essentially, oh, my, you watch like the film The Big Short. There was a handful of people that knew what was going on, um, and you also make a really good point that yeah, that BNB hack was was huge. They mitigated a lot of it, but I I was I was moaning to my colleagues that like CZ said, hadn't said anything in like two or three hours. Like you, you literally were talking years in the 2008 crisis where no one was saying anything. So that's a really, really great point. Um, I'm going to finish off with the, the speed questions with something that hopefully is a little bit more bullish as well. Um, I'm going to direct this one um, back to um, do, 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 first person. So Phantom for this question, please. Um, so sentiment is is obviously low at the moment uh, during like the bear market. But DeFi summer in 2020 came out of a bear market. Is this really a time to be bearish on blockchain technology? Um, well, I think um, blockchain technology is developing very, very well over time. And like the way I see it is that the fundamentals improve, um, improve year on year. And the number of users that we get um, using blockchain technology grows on a year on year basis, despite like the market conditions and the economic conditions. Um, for example, like in 2018, you had more users using Ethereum than you did in 2017. And when I told people um, that sort of like uh, statistic in the past, um, 
a number of them were quite surprised. And well, well, wait a second, how come there's so many more people using Ethereum now? <laughs> isn't like Ethereum dead? Like, isn't a whole crypto scene dead? Because I see, I see all these articles about how you know crypto is just a fad and just beanie babies, and there's nothing like really backing it. Well, the fact is, is that there there are a lot of fundamentals with the underlying technology, and as of you know, of the other speakers have talked about it in terms of, for example, like DeFi, the benefits of DeFi, you know, these these benefits are real and they can add a lot of value to people's lives and not just add like a little bit of value, you know, not just add like, um, you know, a few, you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of value, but literally like billions of dollars in value in terms of like their money saved and in terms of like um, uh, being able to secure their financial futures. And so I think um, that's a very, very important point to emphasize is that, Despite market conditions, you, if you look at the fundamentals, the technology gets better, the user experience gets better, there's more different applications that get deployed on blockchain technology. And so over the long run, I think um, the number of users who are using blockchain technology was still a very small ecosystem and still very niche, you know, um, should, uh, should incorporate um, uh, a majority, if not the vast majority of people who use the internet. You know, back like 20, 30 years ago, the internet was also very niche and people found um, using web browsers has been very strange. Um, but nowadays it's very ubiquitous. And so I think blockchain technologies will become more ubiquitous so long as like the regulators understand the benefits of blockchain technology and understand that actually transparency is is good in terms of law enforcement because it's easier to trace, you know, um, people's funds and see who the good guys are from the bad guys. In fact, there are a number of regulators, fortunately, who've come out and said, well, actually, um, people doing transactions on the blockchain is a lot easier um, uh, in order to protect people than via cash because cash is not transparent. Um, a lot of money laundering is done in cash, done in US dollars. It's not done on the blockchain because if you try and do illicit activities on the blockchain, as you know, someone illustrated, for example, recently with the BNB hack, because of the transparent nature of, of blockchain technology, it's quite easy to actually like see where the funds are going and make sure that the individual users of blockchain technology you know, are able to protect themselves and able to see what exactly is going on. And you just don't have that level of transparency in the banking system. And you certainly don't have that level of transparency in cash, um, uh, which is why it's, it's used so often for illicit activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, M makes complete sense. Like, yeah, I think the cash argument is, is probably one of the strongest. Um, let's go back to uh, Jake at Gino. Yeah, short answer. Uh, price is down, but the fundamentals are better than ever. Like, seriously. Um, mm -hmm. more cool stuff is being built i'm just amazed at the rate of development like even on juno we've got like you know the first interchain protocols like zk protocols are like uh you know kind of really starting to take off so um you know like there's like novel like people are like thinking about De DeFi a little bit differently like so WinsDAO is a project that's working on like interchain DeFi protocols like people are building like uh and you know usage is is like slightly up from from the bull market and so you know we just gotta heads down keep going um but yeah I, i'm i'm more bullish about crypto than i ever have been the technology not just in cosmos but really everywhere is just advancing at such a rapid rate like mm -hmm. how, how could you not be excited yeah i mean i always say with some of some my friends that sort of obviously i'm sure we've all got friends like this that are always asking about price that have been into crypto for a, a quick book or whatever that i kind of feel that almost like developers are the last to know about price action like retail is, is way more interested when you go to conferences like no one's looking at their phones no one the last conference i was at i asked when i was on stage like 
who's checked the price of Bitcoin today, two people put their hand up. Like the price isn't as uh, important as the technology behind it. And I completely um, align with that. Justin, do, do, you, do you agree? What's your thought uh, from Polygon? Yeah, I, I think I absolutely agree. And I, I definitely have some friends that say, hey, you know, because I, I was working at a traditional finance job for about 10 years doing commercial banking and lending. And then I was doing that full time while working for the index co-op DAO part time. And I was a non. And then I, I've recently gone full time Web3 for the past six months with Polygon. And I do have friends that reach out to me and they say, hey, you know, the price of Bitcoin is down. How's your job going? And I'm like, well, first of all, <laughs> I don't do anything with Bitcoin. And second of all, um, I'm as busy if I, as I've ever been. I think, and I, I think a lot of us here can attest to that. And that's, you know, I, I think price gets a lot of headlines in popular media and, you know, price goes up a lot. They want to report it. Price goes down a lot. They want to report it. Um, but, you know, when major protocol upgrades or major breakthroughs in blockchain technology are happening, you don't see any of that going on the main media and well, I mean, I, I would I, just count that slightly. So to cut you off, that I think one of the most bullish things this year for me was the amount of coverage the Ethereum merge got in what you you, you define as popular media. I think that was actually a bit of a watershed moment for the industry. But I, I do agree in general. But I th that was one of those little jumps towards that. Oh, this is good. They're, they're at least talking about the merge. Yeah, and I, I think you're right too. I think that's that that signals like a pretty big trend within, I guess, like the the popular media sentiment as well is that I think a lot of the times people just say Bitcoin and that's just an umbrella term that covers all digital assets and, and blockchains. Right. But now people are now popular media is signaling out Ethereum specifically, right. Which is the number two blockchain by market cap. And the fact that it's not only Bitcoin anymore, it's also Ethereum. I think that's I think that's good. I, I that that's really exciting and that's really important. But I think you know I think with all of the breakthroughs in technology that we're seeing on a daily basis, as it comes to like bridging and cross chain communication and roll ups and everything, everything that Cosmos is doing and everything that Arbitrum and Optimism and all the zkEVM teams are doing, like there is so much incredibly innovative technology, and this is like this space isn't intellectual magnet you see people from finance economists you see people that are involved in in game theory and history and developers they're all coming to this specific area and i think you like you just want to be where the smart people are and i think this is the place to be for that who cares about price i never focus on price there's very very unique times where price actually matters like in terms of like chain security or if major DeFi players yeah, great liquidated based on price but that, that's really it and yeah uh the price is not reflective of the fundamentals as it currently stands today yeah i mean when we talk about the space there's there's people even outside of the the, the tech um side that are fascinated by it i noticed uh he, he's popped out now mainly because I, I know his english isn't very good we actually had tenjin in the space a minute ago who's uh one of the original designers from gundam um he's working on some nft projects is actually my pfp and that's amazing like he's a megastar in in asia in terms of his design work and he's been brought to the space and there's countless other examples um i'd love to get uh tanner's view from osmosis i don't think i've asked you this question yet um in regards to like the bear market and what your sort of sentiment is uh, yeah so for me price is a price is kind of an arbitrary 
uh, thing to value a, a, a protocol on. Um, and I, I actually kind of enjoy bear markets in the sense that uh, you, know, you can really see who's here to build and develop. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I'm personally extremely bullish right now. More, you know, more than just you know, like decentralized finance, and I'm, I'm bullish in decentralizing the world and having a blockchain. Just period, right? Like, you know, a lot of a lot of thought around crypto in the general world is still focused on price. You know, what it's kind of looked at as this alternative stock market degen act thing that mm -hmm. you know you can go in and invest in. But people are, you know, it, I'm excited when people really see the value. Of a blockchain, right? Uh, I was talking to someone the other day that deals with, you know, fraud on. They 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 need people with professional certificates, and they are they've been dealing with fraud where they've been getting Photoshop certificates, and there's no way for them to like really go back and you know look easily and see if that's you know an actual legit certificate. With a simple app built on a blockchain, this is easily verifiable as accurate, right? And like that's a simple application of a blockchain that. You know, is a real world application. You know, you can. It's something that is very valuable, um, and it's just a simple use of the blockchain technology that we have. So, I'm just extremely bullish for for the, for the world to kind of see that application of just this technology be implemented, because I believe that once that fully happens, it's going to kind of be kind of like a wave of everyone really understanding, like, oh my. That, this this is this has some big potential. Like this can really change the world in very positive ways that do not just correlate to the money value. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm yeah I'm I'm just extremely bullish for what's going on for sure. Maybe if I if I can raise something, I think one thing mm -hmm. that is um, that I can clearly see in in this market is that you know what community is left, and you can clearly see how big of a ecosystem is still here some people might say it's, it's silent out there but to me it's it's very clear that there are so many people who are completely dedicated to either web3 or keep up to date daily try to make things better and keep on building and i i wasn't here in 2017 so i don't know how it was but i uh, i do feel like at this moment in time there is still a very big community there is nothing dying out uh, Cosmos hasn't. It's very hot at the moment. Everybody wants to integrate IBC, and, and all the protocols keep on developing more and more. In generally, just generally just making the entire ecosystem better. NFT projects are still minting out. Uh, they are still in their Discord, enjoying it with each other. Developers are joining tutorials and Cosmos ecosystem explainers and mass. Like I'm seeing, twenty thirty developers come into simple simple uh workshops of like one or two hours or online meetups or uh, things like the web3 builders alliance are doing in in the cosmos ecosystem and i just saw another tweet by by noam which is a, a cosmos developer community there are more people around now than i think uh, ever were to build on on chains uh, and the cosmos tech stack so i think that is that is what most important if you can retain your community keep on developing and, and build a better ecosystem. And we're already um, here to enable these applications for all the users that will come in when the price goes up again. So I'm fine 
air sitting in the bear market, keeping building and then having an, an easier flow of communication without the noise. And hopefully we have all our applications and wants and needs ready for the users when they come in again, because uh, we would definitely hope so that they are. Yeah, and I think it's, it's something I've heard a lot, essentially, like you're saying, that during a bear market, you can tell the signal from the noise, so to speak, and know what's good. Um, Ken, what are your thoughts? Hey, no, nothing to add, really. No, so sharing the same sentiment. Brilliant. Right. Well, at that point, then we come towards uh, the towards the end of the the, the space. Um, I just remind everyone: feel free to invite your friends in for this last part. It's going to be where we're doing the open AMA. So, if anyone's got any questions, feel free to uh, request to come up as a speaker, and you can ask a question. Uh, the top three uh, will be chosen um, to be part of a five hundred dollar prize pool. Um, and I'll hand back over to to Miles to to manage the. Uh, the open floor part of the questions if anyone wants to ask anything so feel free to make a request and i will check through the questions on the twitter thread as well so nali do you want to say something i guess you was raising your yes. hand yes yes <laughs> <laughs> sorry i was raising my hand there for a bit um yeah actually sorry i just wanted to respond to the to this last question and just kind of uh, contribute a bit uh, to that in terms of the DeFi space and what we're seeing. So um, I just wanted to say, like, I, I, I really, you know, support and agree a lot of the points and um, that a lot of our speakers today have, like, shared, brought up. I think a lot of them were like, really, really um, well-spoken points. And um, so just one of the things I just wanted to say is, like, you know, even though, even though we're in a bit of a bear market right now, um, I think, you know, kind of like you said, like on the forefront, we have people that, you know, sometimes all they look at is the, maybe like the charts and like, they're just, you know, they're just seeing like the bear market or so. But it's interesting because I think when you work in this space, like and when you work in like the DeFi space or blockchain and, you know, this like Web3 it's really interesting to see like how incredibly busy and this space is in terms of development. Like if I didn't work in this space, I would have no idea how big this, this space is growing and how fast. Um, and it's just interesting because like when, when I attend like, you know, a lot of these different like crypto events, you know, over the last, you know, several months here, um, the, the one of the things I, I see very often is like I see an increase, you know, I think like um, Erdemann mentioned was uh, I see an increase in like hackathons. I see an increase in developers um, uh, coming forward and, and like contributing, wanting to contribute to the space with their ideas, their thoughts, their projects, um, their code. And uh, and I also see just like a lot of projects that are going on like really intense, like uh, I would say hiring, um, like a hiring process. So it's, it's interesting to see that there's definitely a lot of growth, you know, that is happening. So even, so even though that we're in a bear market, there's like still very interesting, uh, unique and exponential growth that's taking place behind the scenes. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just nice to see like there's like such different industries that are also really starting to trend and emerge, you know, with blockchain blockchain technology by using it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think that's really nice to see. And and I think if you didn't work in this space, you, you might not have any idea like how much is taking place behind the scenes. 
um, and how much growth is, 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 is going on. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I just wanted to kind of agree with, uh, you know, what Akiba was saying that, you know, I think the, you know, sometimes the price of what's happening with Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, and, and any other tokens, you know, isn't always, um, I would say, a, a reflection of what is actually taking place behind the scenes in terms of funds being invested and development and growth and team growth and, and how this space is really, truly moving forward. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to add uh, the my my point of view about uh, one of the last question. And as as I said before, I'm I am from Argentina. I'm here in, in Latin America. Uh, we gonna still use this technology because it's like an escape from our economies. And you know, uh, Justin mentioned it uh, that here in Argentina this this year we have uh, like 100% inflation, and also our currency, the Argentine peso, uh, is being uh, devaluating and against the U.S. dollar, and like five times in in less than one to one or, or or two years and we have capital controls we can't uh, exchange our uh, pesos for for dollars that is our historical way to have our savings here in Argentina so really crypto and web3 and blockchain technology uh, really solves a lot of problem for us. Obviously, it's not for everyone uh, because of the technological barrier we have. And we have to think that uh, here in Argentina also we have 50% of poverty in our, in our uh, population. So there is a lot of things to do, but uh, I really, uh, I really convinced that this is a, a really, a really great tool for 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 the people to to have freedom of of his uh, belongs, of his savings, of his uh, values, and, and 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 I will be here and for for a long time and because i say this is really helpful for all of us so and if we are you if we you are agree akiva sonali we can start with the the people ask uh, questions yeah let's go for it yep so we've got uh mayor just connecting now i think he's called ed uh ed, mm -hmm. you have a question? yeah hello uh, yeah, quick question about the Phantom uh, wallet, and I, I believe I heard Phantom was possibly going to be imp implementing or connecting with IBC. My question is, I know Phantoms uh, can connect through MetaMask or, you know, is composable with MetaMask. What, are there any advancements um, with Phantom on, like, can, like let's just say if, if I've been involved in Cosmos or have a Kepler wallet, do I have to get a whole new Phantom wallet if I want to um, trade or enjoy some of the stuff on Phantom, or is there is there a wallet connect? 
Um, I'm not really sure, uh, to be honest. Um, pretty much the same way that you would connect to um, Ethereum uh, via a number of different wallets works pretty much the same way as on Phantom as well. Um, so in terms of like integrating with RBC, I'm not sure, like like us internally at the foundation team, we don't have um, many plans to do that like right now just because we've got like a big backlog of different tasks, to be honest. But I'm not sure if other people in the ecosystem are interested in doing that integration. I mean, we did have a very early version of Phantom that was IBC compatible, to be honest. So we kind of know the architecture and how to connect to it. Um, but we haven't really been focused on it that recently. And and we do um we do support Wallet Connect. I don't know if that helps answer your question. Yeah, it does. It does. And uh, yeah, appreciate it. And yeah, I do have a MetaMask and, and I've just been interested more in Phantom. And, you know, I, I think a lot of barrier for a lot of people moving out of their comfort zone is the whole wall, wallet issue. So anyways, yeah, thanks a lot. Cheers, cheers Ed. Thanks for your question. Uh, next up, we have Crypto Dolphin. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, this is uh, Crypto Dolphin here. And I just wanted, uh, well, first of all, I wanted to agree with everything that has been said and regarding to all the EVM versus Cosmos SDK and the state of DeFi and Web3 as a whole uh, uh, for the future. But uh, I, I actually wanted to address something very specific uh, in regards to Cosmos SDK, and that's just talking about application-specific innovation within uh, DeFi. Uh, let's say something like um, what's happening right now with Aave, Centrifuge, and Lens. Like I, and also in Polygon, I see a lot of a lot of focus in integrating Polygon ID. Uh, and other DID-inspired uh, dApps uh, as well, just like social graph protocols and whatnot. And I see I see a lot of future in that we're turning more like um, like traditional banks. And uh, I do believe that we're going to be seeing under collateralized loans that take into account all your behavior through the through the network. So. Uh, so yeah, my my question is there. Like, uh, there's an advantage to EVM in that sense that the application that that drives the innovation can e be easily ported to other EVM chains by just uh, the nature of copy and pasting, and um, and the composability of it for the future. Like I, I can see a very near future when people are, are actually collateralizing real world assets and they got everything under their, under their DID, um, like digital idea and such, and other, other social graph protocols. So how is Cosmos SDK gonna address that? And uh, what what's your opinion in regards to that part of the of the question like um where where innovation is application layer specific i would also like to talk a little bit about uh like the centralization post-merge of ethereum but that's just another topic so i will yeah, let yeah, it just, just uh, time for what for one question buddy uh, yeah, yeah yeah so that's my only question right now yeah uh, tana or, or or secret do you want to jump on this uh from a i'm personally not a developer so i cannot answer on that you know I, I don't really want to give you an answer that's not uh specific to your exact question i don't know if secret is here i think jake or uh yeah jake yes. or, uh, would have been 
more adequate for this. Mm -hmm. for this yeah, question. I think he may have dropped off. We have gone uh, just over the two hour mark that we kind of uh, <clears throat> put for this. Um, can you can you put your question, Cryptodolphin, in just a, a, a little simpler terms, maybe just in one sentence? How to address uh, like how to address the catch up game when you're not EVM focused uh, for for layers such as as Cosmos SDK. That's okay. basically the question because uh, I see a, a lot of future with uh, DID standards that are going on. Uh, I'm not going to debate the moral part of it, but I see a lot of future within it. So yeah, I'm just I, trying I to you, address that. Yeah, I got you, buddy. So some of the question basically then is um, how can Cosmos deal with the kind of the network effect of Ethereum that it already has? Uh, yeah, sort of. Uh, the, ne the network effect of you. Yeah, what, so what in sense of like Ethereum is the is the the, the number one kind of uh, Turing complete sort of blockchain in the space at the moment. How can Cosmos catch up? What does it need to do? Is does it need to do anything? Uh, oh, as I, I don't really think there's much. The I think there's just more building that needs to be done, uh, and the idea that IBC protocol needs to you know be implemented more, uh, and I think. As developers, there need, I think there needs to be a little bit more security transparency within the cosmos. Um, I think that there's a lot of there's debate about hub, you know, hub, hub who the who the hub zone is. Um, I think that there doesn't need to be one specific central hub. I don't really know if I'm fully answering your question. Yeah, I think I think that that's that's more than sufficient. Uh, we've got one last question then. Uh, Web three builders alliance. Uh, you've got uh, Osmosis and you've got Phantom. Uh, yeah. What's your question? Actually, I um, I was hoping to just elaborate on that last question. Do you mind? Um, this isn't really a, a, a time for for, for speakers uh, presentations. If you've got a question though, that would be that's fine. Okay, um, I'll, I'll pass then. I I would just say that the. Um, Cosmos is doing what um, what is suggested there, and anyone who wants to learn more about it, happy to be a resource. Great, sounds fantastic. Okay, um, Sonali, do you want to do want to wrap us up? I know a couple of the speakers are about to drop off, which is completely understandable given we've been here for so long. Um, it's been an absolutely amazing space. Um, I would uh, ask anyone who's been in the space; space has been recorded, so people can listen back at a later time. Like, please do sh share this out to your your followers and your friends, um, people that are interested in the blockchain space, people that are even in the space. I know there was a lot of technical stuff here, but there were some really great answers around why we should be looking towards um, blockchain and Web3 in the future and what it can do that, uh, as someone so eloquently put it, that popular media isn't really talking about. Um, but yeah, I'll hand over back to Sonali or Miles to, to do the like, final roundup. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. First of all, thank you to all of our speakers, to uh, Juno, Phantom, Polygon, Osmosis, Secret Network. Um, yes, we just like really appreciate uh, all of you that were like here today, Osmosis. And um, so, yeah, I guess you know, just to just to leave off. Um, so, one just final thing, guys. I would love to invite all of the listeners here today and all of the viewers. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and hope you were able to learn something very valuable from each of the speakers and chains today. Um, and uh, also, just if you're a little bit for like DeFi Yield, so we'd love to invite everybody to also check out DeFi Yield to come connect your wallet 
and explore a lot of the DeFi protocols that are available on each of these chains. And um, you can track all of your DeFi assets in one place. You can access these protocols as well, also from DeFi Yield. And now with, with our latest new feature, they keep you safe with our shield. Um, now, you know, be prepared and uh, enjoy being alerted of any potential like high risk security alerts where you can revoke uh, from those smart contracts right from our dashboard. So uh, once again, thank you to everybody and have a great day. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Again, I've been Akiba from Cryptoslay uh, and Miles, do you want to give your last little round off? No, it's OK. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad to, to be here. Thank you both to both of you. Bye. Go check out DeFi Yield. Download it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll schedule all to death to the back. Awesome. You guys See are the ya. best. Bye. Bye, people. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the top six DeFi blockchains, EVM and Cosmos, hosted by DeFiYield.app, recorded on Wednesday, October 26th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. Put your hands up like you got a couple questions Ain't no misdirection, just a bunch of flexing All aggressive, insane from all directions Smoke blows in when I start a session Blink canvas, blaze up the handlers Rocking back and forth like I got the van stuck Don't grind the clutch, mind your hush Put your mask on and don't touch the antlers Feeling untouchable when I'm on the verse But in the universe, I'm just writing some words Enticing these nerds while I'm laying out my memoirs Like, remember when I had to fight the centaur? I'm a book nerd, let me take you on the journey Lost in the labyrinth, searching out the lost fern For certain, got the taxes included Acting like a writer, never felt secluded Shitting line them up. Just another fixed game of try my luck. Go lighten up, dog. It could always be worse. Unless you're in the back of a hearse, then you're dead or putting in new speakers. It's a toss up, driver or just tweakers. Don't stress, yo. I've done the research. Living life like a bunch of fucking lemurs. It's a remake off the cutting floor. We take a little bit of poison and put it in the cheesecake. Tastes great, less filling. Less stress, more killing. As he blew the cornerstone out the building and the box. Came tumbling down all humble Feels like we're drowning in a little puddle Rebuttal? I should be taking off in the shuttle Getting high in space with the Hubble
Spaces.